Lord, we ask this morning you give us the spirit of revelation and knowledge of your word. Help us to understand your word and receive it in our hearts. Anoint Pastor Chris as he ministers with clarity and simplicity. And Lord, bring transformation. Your word changes lives, and we receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Rigo. You may have a seat. <clears throat> so we are uh, beginning a new series today called Your Days Are Numbered. I asked Jeff to create a graphic for this, and the original one had a, had a hand coming up from a, a, in a graveyard <laughs> as a joke. Um, teach us to number our days. This comes from a Psalm 90 verse 12 that says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, remind us that our time here is short. Remind us that our lives are but a vapor, another scripture says, here today and gone tomorrow. And so help us to live in light of that truth, that our lives are so short, that it's going to be so quick. Help us to live with wisdom. When we know how short our time on earth is, then we have potential to live with wisdom, prioritizing correctly, having the right perspective on things, not getting wrapped up in, wrapped up in trivial matters, living for the right purposes. This is going to be a four-week deal. It's going to take us into October, and then that's when we're going to launch our, our life group church-wide campaign. We're going to be doing another study for the, the remainder of the fall. Um, but these four weeks in September, as we prepare for a new season and back to school, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to live like our days really are numbered. When I do funerals, I've officiated somewhere between 25 and 30 funerals as a pastor, and in all but one of them, I have worked in this scripture from Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 7, verse 2, where it says, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, and so the living should take this to heart. Better to spend your, it's better to be at a funeral than at a family reunion, Because being at a funeral has the potential to remind you that, ooh, my life is short. That's going to be me someday. That's going to be me in a blink of an eye. What am I living for? What do I care about? What makes me angry? What gets me excited? What do I believe about God and afterlife? So I bring this into every funeral, and I try to take this to heart. I try to go to as many funerals as I can go to. I try to get out of as many family gatherings and weddings as I can, but I try to go to as many funerals as I can go to because it reminds me that, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. My time is short. And the world wants to tell us the opposite. It incites our flesh. It tempts our pride. Our pride says we're invincible. We're going to live forever. Everything's good. And the world kind of speaks to that pride in us, right? It offers us age-defying skincare products that make us forget that we're aging. We can look in the mirror and be in denial about the fact that our bodies are getting older. And we can trick other people into thinking we're younger than we really are. Commercials you turn on, you watch something, and most likely at some point while you're watching a show or a movie, if you're watching it on, on, a, on, a, on a, like Hulu or you still get commercials, you, you, you're going to see a commercial about some pharmaceutical product 
with these people who are having these happy long lives. And the promise is, you can have this happy long life despite your disease. All you have to do is ask your doctor about Prometea. Is anybody taking Prometea, by the way? I made that one up. Doesn't that sound like a real drug? Yeah. I just wonder how they come up with these names if they're sitting around like, anyway, uh, of course. The alternative health industry does the same thing. If you Google or you look on YouTube with the word longevity, you're going to see podcasts and interviews with people about how to extend your life. And listen, there are things that we can do that would be wise and faithful, right? There's, there's, there's ways to change your eating and, and exercise habits that are wise and faithful, but taking Super Greens Plus, despite how long it's been fermented, will not guarantee that you're going to live to the age of 95. And even, even, even if you do, it's going to go by like that. I was talking to a woman who's 90 years old at the Chelsea Assisted Living Home the other day. She's just, she's like, this goes by so fast. So our time is numbered. Our days are numbered. It's being wrapped up. So Lord, Teach us to number our days so that we can live with wisdom. Kids, teenagers, you're going to be dead soon. Even if you live to the age of 100, it's going to go by like that. Kayla, live with wisdom. So that's what this series is about. How do we live with wisdom? What does it mean? We've got four points we're going to make in these four weeks. One point each week. And to, to kind of start us off, if our days are numbered, if our time is short, the first thing that I would hope that we can grasp is that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. We need to get this one so that we can apply the coming weeks about living faithfully, uh, uh, leaving the right legacy, Using our uh, privileges for God's glory. We're going to talk about those things in the coming weeks. But if we don't get this one, then we're going to be stuck constantly trying to make this world our home. And distracted by that. Because that's our default setting, is trying to make this world our home. Setting up a little perfect nest for ourselves here. And it starts when we're young. We see this with our kids. We see this um, in so many different ways, a million different ways. I notice with my kids that they, so they have dessert every night, um, and they often want to have dessert. They'll fight with us to eat it in the living room while they're watching a show. And we're like, well, just eat it in the kitchen so you don't spill it, and then you go watch the show. But, th- but they'll argue with us about, well, I want to watch, eat it while I'm watching. And I've thought about, like, psychologically, why is that? And it's probably the same reason we want to set up, you know, our warm blankets while we're watching a good movie with our popcorn and our soda. Like, we, we try to create these, these experiences where everything feels just right. Stimulation from the TV, captivating our, our wonder, endorphins going through our bodies because of the food. We're, we try to create these moments. And even if we get it right, they last but a moment, and then they're gone. And I watch my kids sometimes, and they're done, and they're like... They're like start looking for something else to stimulate them. Just like drugs, right? We get the escape. We get the high. Come down. And then we're like, well, what's next? Christmas ends, right? And kids are like, well, they got those blues. That's it? That's it? Now what? What's the next thing I have to look forward to? 
And we do it as adults. We're constantly trying to set up little moments, little experiences, a home where we can feel like, ah, it's good. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself so long as we remember that all our efforts to make this world our home fall short almost always immediately. They almost always get wrecked immediately, but if they don't fall short immediately, they fall short eventually. The dessert runs out. I used to be really obsessed with having the perfect cup of coffee. I only liked dark roast coffee. I liked it with heavy cream, a little sweetener. Um, and so I got kind of like hooked on that. I didn't like light roast coffee. Um, it had to be dark roast and I had to have heavy cream. And so I found myself, no joke, I found my, if somebody asked me to grab coffee, I would want to see where they wanted to meet first. And I would still say yes if they were like Duncan, but I'd have coffee before Duncan, and I really wouldn't look forward to that meeting as much as I would if they said a place that I liked to go to, where I had good coffee, in my opinion. And if we were out of heavy cream, I'd be a little irritable, and I started to realize, like, this might be a problem. And so my men's group went through a, a Daniel fast a few years ago, and we, for three weeks we cut out, uh, it was a 21-day thing, we cut out a bunch of stuff, but one of them was, was caffeine. So when I came back, I was like, I got an issue here. I'm, I think I'm just going to start drinking it black. This world's not my home. I can't be perfectly comfortable. I can't have my thing all the time. And I'll have it with cream sometimes, so there's nothing wrong with that. But I didn't want to be addicted to that or need it or be hooked on that because this world's not my home. And the perfect cups of coffee, even when you get them, they spill sometimes. They run out. Certain coffee shops don't have what you like. On a bigger scale, my wife and I, we've been trying to fix up our house, and we've gotten carpets, you know, deep cleaned and everything. But we have a two-year-old lab. And this dog not only ruined our backyard with all her digging, but despite the fact that she's potty trained for the most part, she still finds one place on the couch, one place on the, in the basement floor, and one place in our bedroom where she likes to pee. And it ruins that Oh, our home is good feeling. You smell some pee, you clean it, you got the pee mixed with the cleaner smell. We try to get the smell out, and before we finally get the smell out, she does it again. And it starts back over. It's a reminder, this world is not our home. Heck, that's what the suburbs promise, isn't it? Remember after World War II, this, the, the suburban sprawl? You didn't have to live in the city. You didn't have to be in the, uh, out in the boondocks. You could have the suburban life. And if you look at old ads from the 50s of what a house in the suburbs promised, I mean, it was a happy woman in the kitchen with a big space and electronics, like a blender. I mean, it was like, I get to have all this space. And then you had a backyard and the husband's grilling and you had a pri friends that give you privacy. It was the good life. Most of us live in the suburbs, and we would say, well, it doesn't exactly do it for you, right? There's still a longing in our souls. There's still this ache for, ah, it doesn't quite feel right. And so what we do is we have two options. We can try to change, to, to uh, rearrange our lives constantly in this effort to make this world our home, and that's what Everybody naturally does. I need a new job. I need a new spouse. Maybe if I get this renovation. Maybe if we switch schools. Maybe if we move out of state where the laws are differently. Maybe, maybe, maybe if I do this, then I'll finally feel at home. We can keep doing that and end up disappointed. Or 
if we're followers of Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, then we can live according to his word. Look at what Hebrews 13, 14 says. This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. If you belong to Jesus, then what, what has happened is you trust in his sacrifice, his, 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 his death that paid for us, his resurrection that overcame the grave and the curse of this world for us. And we trust in him and we enter into baptism buried with him, our old lives. I'm no longer a slave to this world. We raised with him. He's living through us. We become adopted into his family, born again. Bible says we are no longer citizens of this world. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. And so that means this world, oh, I'm free from it. I'm free from trying to make this world my home. I got a better one coming. I got one to look forward to. And so that, if we can remember that and trust in that, then we're gonna, not going to get sucked into this vortex of trying to change everything and fix everything. And, oh, no, the dog peed on the carpet again. Oh, no, and I'm going to switch out my dog. We can go, ah, oh, that's right. This world's not supposed to be my home. When we go on vacation, consider when you go on vacation. If you find a hotel uh, and you, you're staying there, you walk in, if the paint isn't the color that you like, or the bathroom wallpaper isn't the color you like, or the furniture in the hotel room isn't arranged the way you like, you don't normally, I mean, unless you're really neurotic, you don't normally try to rearrange the hotel room or get the walls repainted while you're there. You're like, I'm going to enjoy the beach or the amusement parks or I'm going to go see the sights. Because this hotel isn't my home, right? Like, I'm not going to put too much energy into trying to make this little hotel room perfect. I got a home that I'm going back to in a week. Let me enjoy myself while I'm here, right? When you go on a mission trip, we've got a bunch of people in uh, Albania right now. Some of them coming back tomorrow. They're not over there trying to make their lives super comfortable, they're there for a specific purpose, a specific assignment, for a specific period of time. And then what are they doing? They're going home. Well, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you, on a larger scale, are on an assignment here on this earth. If you belong to Jesus, you have been bought with a price and sent in, out into the world for a specific time, a short time, for God's purposes. It's not your home. Don't get caught up trying to rearrange the furniture. Don't get too obsessed with the, 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 the color of the walls. It's not your home. And so the ache that we feel, it's okay to feel that. We're not going to have it be fully satisfied until Jesus returns. If we can grasp that, then we can go, ah, oh, that's right, it's not supposed to be like that. C.S. Lewis famously said this, if I find in myself desires which nothing on this earth can satisfy, the most logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's the most logical explanation. Not if only I change this or if only I fix that person. You were made for another world. And you're going to get it when Jesus returns. You're going to get it on a new heaven, a new earth. Imagine two different people. Neither one of them have eaten in 24 hours. Okay? They're both hungry. One of them does not know where his next meal is coming from, does not know where it's coming from, does not know how much food he's going to get at that next meal. 
The other one, just as hungry, hasn't eaten in just as long, but they are sitting at the table of Outback Steakhouse, waiting for their 12-ounce sirloin and a loaded baked potato to be put on the table in just a few minutes. Same physical sensations, perhaps, but completely different experiences. One of them is going to be a little anxious, probably, a little scared, maybe a little irritable and angry, worried. The other one, waiting with eager expectation. If we belong to Jesus, then we're like the guy at Outback. Oh, I got something good coming. Yeah, I'm hungry, and I'm longing for that, but I got it coming. I got my Savior returning. I got him ushering in a renewed earth, new bodies, eager expectation versus, oh, no, oh, no, let me try to scrape by. Let me try to figure out what to do for myself. This is one of the reasons why fasting can be helpful. Speaking of food, fasting is a way of creating an ache in our bodies physically so that we can channel that ache towards a longing for Jesus' return. It's a way of reminding ourselves that I'm not supposed to be super comfortable in this world. It's a way of detaching and saying, this world is not my home. I don't have to eat when everybody else is eating. I don't have to satisfy my cravings all the time. I wasn't made for this world to be my home. So when we do church-wide fasts or you do individual fasts, you get to remember, oh, this ache that I feel in my body, it's like a reminder that my soul is aching and longing for Jesus. If, again, if we don't grasp this one, that this world is not our home, we will be too distracted trying to make it our home and not be able to apply what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Look at what Paul said to uh, Timothy, his protege, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This was at the end of his life. Paul's an old, old man. He knows that his time is near. He says this, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So he's using this metaphor. We are soldiers on a field, on a mission, on an assignment for Jesus. He's our commanding officer. Let's stay focused. Let's not get too entangled in civilian affairs. Soldiers out there at war in a foxhole, they're not all of a sudden worried about trying to get a better deal on a car lease. I, I got a mission here. Paul's like, Timothy, don't get entangled with what everybody else in the world is getting entangled with. Worrying about this and that. Stay focused. You're here for a short period of time. I was watching my daughter Kayla play soccer last week. She, is, uh, she was in a tournament. It was two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. They were hot days, pretty hot days. Sunday afternoon, after church, was watching them play in the heat. And I was thinking about this. I was kind of thinking about this, this topic. And um, I was thinking, they play for an hour out in the heat, sun bearing down. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing parents go, oh, it's so hot out here. The players are playing. They're not asking for fans. They weren't asking for, uh, you know, uh, uh, ACs to be brought out. They weren't, they, you know, they, they weren't checking their hairs and saying, hey, how do I look? Like they were focused on a specific mission. 
And they weren't trying to be that comfortable. They were sweating, but they weren't expecting to be that comfortable. Now, when Kayla goes home, she expects to be comfortable. She'll tell us that her room is too hot and the downstairs is too cold. And uh, she, you know, she has her preferences for things. Because when she's at home, she expects to be comfortable. But out on the soccer field, that expectation is gone. We got to win this game. And I think what Paul's saying to Timothy is, hey, hey, guys, we're here for a short period of time, like a soccer game. Stay focused. Stay on mission. Live for Jesus. Don't get too entangled. Don't get too entangled in the things that the rest of the world are getting entangled in, are getting bothered by, are gossiping with each other about, are obsessing over. Be faithful, be, in, be engaged in life, of course. Be faithful with your stuff. Be faithful with your resources. But like with your money, live generously. And if that means it costs you getting something that you want right now, it's like, oh wait, that's okay. This world's not my home. I don't need that. Plan for retirement, but plan for retirement not so that you're super comfortable in retirement, but so that you can stay on mission and continue to live generously in retirement. Different mindsets, right? We have a dent in my car. Um, my, blue, my blue Honda, uh, there's a dent in the passenger side door, and I, I wasn't in it when it happened. People always see him like, oh, you got to do another accident? I'm like, no. Wasn't even in my car when it happened. I used to get in a lot of accidents. I haven't in a long time, believe it or not. I'm not going to tell you who crashed into my car. I'll tell you where it happened. Happened in my driveway. But I'm not going to tell you who did it. <laughs> so we've got a dent in my car. And it was a lease. So we're like, oh, man, we got to get this fixed. And then we were like, well, we might be buying it out. So I don't know if it's worth it. And I was thinking about it. And I was reminded of something that Francis Chan, who's a, who's a, a preacher, Bible teacher um, out west, uh, he, he had pointed out in one of his studies that they had a hole in their drywall. One of their kids got a hole. And they decided not to get it fixed as, just as a reminder, one little reminder that this world's not our home. And when I saw the door, I was like, you know what? This doesn't affect the function. Can open and close the door fine. It's just, it's just the annoying questions of people assuming that I got into the accident. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to get it fixed. We got enough things to fix. Nothing wrong with getting your door fixed. But in this particular case, I just was like, no. This is going to be a reminder whenever I see this dent that this world ain't our home. This world ain't our home. I'm not supposed to be super at peace with things. There's a longing and an aching that will only be satisfied when Jesus returns. One more scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is also the Apostle Paul. He's talking to married and single people. That's what he's been spending most of this chapter doing. But at the end of it, he sort of gives this summary, or he, he kind of, he holds it up in context. All his instructions to married people and single people, he holds it up in context. And he says this, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Husbands, don't jump to conclusions yet there. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So what the heck is he talking about here? This is the same guy who said in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He cared about marriage. Your marriage represents Christ's covenant with the church. So he cares about marriage. So what does he mean here? 
Well, I think what he means here is that the time is being wrapped up like a, like a sail on a boat. It's coming to an end. This world is temporary. So don't get too caught up trying to get these uh, other people and other things in your life to sustain your joy. Don't expect your spouse to make you happy all the time. Don't expect marriage to make you happy all the time. One of the reasons I think we have such a high divorce rate is that partly we take marriage too seriously in our culture. We expect our spouse to make us happy. So when they don't, we're like, well, I got the wrong spouse then. Let me find another one. Like, no, no, you're not supposed to. The time is getting wrapped up. There's a Savior coming for you. Love your spouse, but don't expect too much from them. Don't expect them to fulfill every longing in your soul. He said, uh, those who buy as if it were not theirs to keep. He said, hold loosely. Buy, of course. Engage in commerce. Invest in stocks. Get a good deal on a boat, sure. But don't get too wrapped up in it. Don't obsess too much about it. Because it's not yours to keep. They're sandcastles. All the blessings we have from God are sandcastles. Enjoy them while they're here. But they're going to get washed away. They're going to erode. They're going to fade. They're going to perish. They're going to stop working. Or the dog's going to pee on them. Bill Meyer, a few years ago at Alive Again, um, I, I, I just remember, I didn't even hear the message, but I remember him saying, he, he did a message called the, the Groundhog Ate My Cabbage or something like that. And it was a, he was talking about how this groundhog kept getting into his garden and ruining it. And all his efforts to protect the garden, this groundhog kept getting into. And it's like, yeah, this world. And you can obsess over, over that and over and over. Now I'm going to get that groundhog. But at some point, Paul's like, oh, hold on to it loosely. Hold on to your gardens and your boats loosely. What else did he say? Those who are happy as if they were not. He's not saying don't rejoice and don't praise God. He's, he's, he's saying don't put too much hope in this. When circumstances are good, great, praise God. Just don't put too much hope in those circumstances because they're constantly changing. And sometimes we actually live with a little bit of anxiety. What if this changes? It's going to change. It's going to change. Enjoy it while it lasts. It's a sandcastle. But don't get too wrapped up in trying to hold tightly to it. And then those who mourn as if they did not. Grieve, mourn. Things are, you, we suffer loss. We suffer grief. Things don't go the way we want them to go, and it hurts. And, and, and of course, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He grieved. Like, we are supposed to grieve. But Paul is saying, don't grieve with such despair as if this is it. Because our God is a redeemer. This time is short. He's wrapping everything up. And he's redeeming it all. I remember I heard a story of uh, uh, a prison camp in Germany during World War II. There was uh, American POWs in this prison camp, and the Germans were watching them, uh, and they were being, uh, you know, not fed very well, not treated very well, and so they would kind of like walk around like zombies, not much hope, weren't interacting with each other very much, hungry, despondent. And then, at one point, the German guards started to notice a difference in their, um, 
uh, energy levels and their outlook. And they, they weren't being treated better. They weren't eating anymore, but they were starting to engage with each other, the prisoners. They were starting to huddle up and hoot and holler, and they would give each other high fives. And the Germans didn't know what was going on, but it was later discovered that somebody had snuck in a transistor radio. And what they found out was that the Allied troops had, had uh, stormed the beaches of Normandy and had gained a foothold in France, and they were making their way inland and they were uh, liberating prison camps, and it was only a matter of time before they, too, would be freed and get to go home. So their circumstances in the moment didn't change, but their whole outlook, their whole energy, everything changed because they knew, oh, it's just a matter of time before we're free and we're going home. So the people of the world can mourn as if this is our only hope, as if the things that they lost is it. But those of us who belong to Jesus, we get to mourn, but do it with hope. Oh, that's right. Our Lord is coming. He's going to redeem it. And everything I lost here, everything that I suffered here will be redeemed and given back to me a hundredfold in some way. That's the promise of Scripture, that we lose nothing that a thousand years from now, if we're in Jesus, we will look back and we won't feel like we missed out on anything. Single folks, you will not feel like you missed out a thousand years from now. You'll see how all the streams of our different lives filled with grief all lead like, a, like multiple rivers into this ocean of God's redemptive love. And we'll say, wow, I see what he was doing. I see what he did. I see that what I thought I was missing out on, I didn't miss out. What I thought I lost, I gained back. Time is short. The world's not our home. Let's stand. Can we stand? Band, why don't you guys come on up here? Here's a little summary. I want to pray for you guys before I... Before we sing, the devil says you belong to the world and you must make your home here. That's the lie that he whispers in our ears constantly. Try this, try that, make this change, make that change. You can do it. You can finally feel at home. Those people feel at home. You don't. You're the only one. Be jealous, be envious, get what they have. That's what he's up to. And the gospel says you've been bought for another world and you're free to eagerly await Christ's return. You're free to be a little hungry now. Have a longing. Embrace it. Lean into it. And let it fix your eyes upward. As if you're sitting it out back waiting for that steak. So Lord, I pray. I pray for these men and women, teenagers, kids. I pray that you would... It's only by your spirit that we can that we can lean into this. But I pray that you, by your spirit, would fill us with that eager expectation that you would break the hold that the things of this world have on us. I pray that um, in case anyone misunderstands what I said, that you, no guilt, for owning stuff. There's no guilt for enjoying the things of this world. No guilt at all, but Lord, that we would um, praise you for them, give thanks for them, hold loosely to them, 
be faithful with them instead of obsessing over them. Pray for those who have good circumstances now that they can rejoice in that and that as we sing that they would give thanks and praise you for those, those blessings. I pray for those who are hurting right now, mourning, grieving. Pray that you would give them the grace to praise you as well and thank you as well that the mourning and grieving is short. That all our trials here are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that you have waiting for us. We are called, Jesus, not to walk around as a disappointed people, but a people with eager expectation. Help us to stand out in this world in that way. In your name, Lord, amen. We're going to spend a little bit of time worshiping. We're not going to have a prayer team down front. We're just going to worship, and I'm going to encourage you as you sing, sing. Sing like you mean it. Sing like heaven is our home. Sing like God's in control. These tears would just be tears falling down my